from the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine absolute love and peace, there wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. Welcome to Round Trip Death, everybody, and welcome to our very special guest in Florida, in the U.S., Mary Grace Polnasek. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Eric? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's actually really nice and we had a cold front here, so yay. <laughs> it feels like fall, actually. <laughs> okay, how cold is fall in Florida? Uh, I want to say 75 to 68 degrees, depending. <laughs> For the high. Yeah. That is, that's Fahrenheit. That is not bad. And you told me earlier, one of, one of your emails, how nervous you are. Please don't be nervous. <sighs> breathing. <laughs> For our listeners, uh, Mary Grace has not shared her story publicly before. She's told a few loved ones. And so this is going to be her first time. So we're all going to give grace to Mary Grace and <laughs> hope that you can relax and we can just have a nice chat this morning. Before we do, would you mind telling us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, like you said, I live in the lovely Florida. It's really nice outside right now. I'm married, been married for this um, next December will be 12 years, and I have two lovely children, uh, very beautiful, smart kids. One is in um, Odyssey of the Mind, which is a, an amazing program, um, and then the other one is in the Gifted program, so I'm very proud of them for that. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm an avid reader, so I like to read all things consciousness, metaphysics, physics, <laughs> anything I can, you know, get my hands on. Um, I love to meditate. I meditate daily, which I think has helped me in the long run with uh, all my myriad of traumas and symptoms from said traumas. And um, I love K-dramas. <laughs> okay. That's me. <laughs> all right. Mary Grace, tell me where you grew up and what led up to your near-death experience. Sure. Um, so like I said, I'm, I was a mil I don't think they call them military brat anymore, military child. I don't know the proper, um, political wording for it, but, um, I grew up in the Philippines, um, until I was seven. We moved around a lot. So from Philippines to Guam, from Guam to Florida for a few months and then to Hawaii and then back to Florida where I stayed in the Philippines. I didn't feel like I belonged, um, because, you know, being half American, half Filipino, it's not really embraced in the community. So, um, can you explain that real quick? Do you mind just giving us the family background on that? Sure. Okay. So, my mom was a one, what do you call a hospitality girl that worked in the naval base, which uh, mostly entertained like Navy personnel. And so that's what she did. And I, she met my dad and got pregnant with me, which kind of, I guess, ruined her career for a moment. I know she told me this, that she tried to get rid of me, but I guess that was unsuccessful. <laughs> she gave birth to me. And then my grandparents um, ultimately 
started taking care of me for most of my childhood. She was in and out of my life for most of my childhood. Um, and I was just kept inside for a lot. I didn't have any friends because I was fair skinned. So they didn't want me to, I guess, to get burnt or whatnot. But you didn't look like the other kids. So you were kind of shunned in other words. Right. Correct. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. That must be really hard when you're just a young child. It really was because, you know, I would see kids out the window playing and I'm just, you know, trying to entertain myself. And I didn't have very many toys or anything. So I just I played with what I could like deodorant, <laughs> you know, something I could find. Um, but when my mom was in and out of my life, um, when she was home, I just remember her like constantly yelling at me for God knows what, or spanking me with slippers, wet slippers at that. <laughs> so I was, I never made her happy. And I just felt like I was just there taking up space. I wasn't, I didn't feel really loved or accepted by my family. And then how old were you when you got real sick? I, w- I was about five years old. I got really sick with a high fever, which even though they were Catholic, they were st- they still believed in um, outworldly, like supernatural possessions and whatnot. Which Catholics, I believe in possessions, but they believed in like fairies and gnomes and stuff like that. So I was sick with a high fever, and they didn't take me to the doctors because I, as I spoke with my mom yesterday, when they feel like you're possessed. <laughs> Um, they didn't take you to the doctor. So hang on, hang on. They didn't think you were sick. They thought you were possessed. Yes, sir. Yeah. Why? What were the symptoms? I guess I was like uh, convulsing a little bit. And then, of course, when I was on the brink of death, um, I heard children laughing in the background. So I remember going outside and um, in my mind, I was playing with these really bright children, you know, they were these kids, but they had these very like golden aura around them. But I guess in my mother and my grandmother's perspective, I just looked like I was trying to catch bugs or something. (laughs) Okay. So they thought, I I just want to make sure we're clear, kind of step by step here. Well, they thought you were possessed, so they didn't take you to a doctor. Yes, sir. I'm so sorry to hear all this, by the way. It sounds really traumatic. And you had a real high fever, which could explain some of this. Yes, sir. Okay. And then you're in bed, and is there a point where you remember starting to see things? And were you hallucinating, or were you leaving your body and going somewhere? I remember um, I might have been hallucinating, Um but auditorially, I just remember the children laughing and I wanted to go to them. So I did get up from the bed physically to go outside. It wasn't um, my astral body or my uh, spirit or anything. I did get up physically to go outside to play with these children's children that I was hearing. And so, like I said, I was trying to play tag with them. But in my mind's eye, I was playing with them. Um, again, it could have been a hallucination, but in their in their perspective, it looked like I was just trying to catch bugs and playing with bugs or something like that. Okay, thank you. Keep going. You know, like I said, in my mind's eye, I was playing with them, and then all of a sudden, I just it turned black, like blackness. 
I guess I fell to the ground outside. In my perspective, I was out of my body in this blackness and I felt just really light. It wasn't hard to breathe anymore. And, you know, I was weightless and I was in no pain and it was just really, really dark. And I was just, I guess suspended animation would be the word for it. I just felt like in this vast blackness void, so to speak, it was just me. And then all of a sudden I hear like a calling I felt it in my body and then I looked to my side and I seen this light. Uh, it was very faint at first and then it kept getting closer and closer and closer and then engulfed me. And then when I opened my eyes again, I was greeted with this being. But it didn't really he didn't really have a face or anything. I just felt a male energy and he didn't really have a form. It was just like a a very bright being and he uh welcomed me he he was like welcome and then I just felt sorry that's okay I I know it's difficult to relive and this is the beautiful part too I just felt like this I'm sorry it is overwhelming love and peace that I've never felt before I've always felt like I was just there and a burden, you know, and I just, I just felt it. And I, <laughs> my little me, my inner child or whatever, I was crying as well. I don't know why I was crying. I'm like, why am I crying? <laughs> but it was just this overwhelming feeling around my body that I just couldn't ignore. And it was so beautiful. In addition to this wonderful feeling, were you seeing anything at this point? You just said it was beautiful. Did you see something? I did. It was like um, a library of some sort. Um, the gentleman was uh, next to me, and then there were other beings like gathered around a table, and they were reading, looked like they were reading books or something. But they said hello to me, and, you know, you can just tell that they were at peace and loving. At this point, I still didn't know where I was. I I was all sorts of confused. And then this being told me to follow him. And I didn't really question it. I didn't ask any questions because at five years old, I mean, like, it, it was a lot to take in. So I followed him into this room and he pulled up a you know, we pulled up a chair on this table and he told me to sit down, which I did. And he sat right next to me. And in front of us was a wall. And then he did this like little motion thing and it turned into a screen. And he told me he wanted to show me something. You know, it was like a movie playing and it was earth and where my body was laying. I guess he was trying to show me or make me understand that my soul was separate from my body at that point. But I didn't recognize myself, you know, but I just recognized my Lola holding me. She was like rocking me back and forth, scared and worried. Like I've, I've never seen this reaction from her before. And, you know, I was like, well, that's my Lola. I guess that's me. <laughs> Lola is, I'm sorry for, is a, the Filipino word for grandmother. He was just 
trying to calm me down. And I said, am I dead? And he said, yes. And I said, I don't feel dead. (laughs) And I said, how did I die? Because I don't feel like I'm dead. I feel better than I did. And he just laughs. And, you know, he told me that my body got too hot. That's how I died. And so I remember seeing from the screen, my mother was to my grandma's um, left, and then there was two shaman ladies. Again, like I said, they thought I was possessed, so they hired faith healers to come and get rid of whatever was possessing me. Um, I remember seeing a lot of smoke. Sounds like they have your body back in the house at this point. Yes, sir. Yes, sorry. Yeah, and your grandmother's rocking you. Uh, you know, one thing that I find really interesting here is um, it's unusual for you to be seeing what's going on with your body from a screen. I hear lots of people talking about, uh, well, like in a hospital room, they're up in the corner near the ceiling looking down. Right. Or later they're looking at a screen, but that's a life review. Right. And But you're seeing what's actually happening at that point on this screen. That's cool. That's interesting. Yeah, and it wasn't like a regular screen or anything. It looked like it was just a white wall and it was hollowed out. And that's what I was seeing. Like it played out on earth while I was, you know, where I was. And um, and he told me, unfortunately, it's not your time yet. You have to go back. And I'm like, what do you mean go back? I don't want to. Sorry. I didn't want to go back because I told him, I'm like, I'm not loved there. I don't feel this feeling there. You know, I, my mom's always mad at me. I know she doesn't want me. She's always mad at me and hitting me. And I just want to stay here. And he's like, you can't stay here. And like a five-year-old, I I was crying and throwing a tantrum. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I really didn't want to go back. But he told me I needed to go back. And I kept asking, why, why? And he told me, because of love. And I was like, what love? I I feel that here. I don't feel that there. Again, he showed me the screen. I know, like, life review shows you your past doing so and whatnot. But to me, what he showed me was my future and my children. And then who's, you know, to be my husband. And he told me, I know your life. It's going to be really hard. And you're going to go through a lot. I'm sorry. But you will be happy eventually. And your children need to be born because they're going to show you what unconditional love is in this plane. So that way you know. And I was like, still crying because at five years old, you're going to tell five-year-old that. It's like can't comprehend that and then and then with great reluctance I finally said okay if I'm meant to be there and I'm not meant to be here yet okay I I'll go back if that's what I need to do and it wasn't like any judgment or pushy pushiness from his voice it was he there was like great compassion and love from what I remember, he he gave me a choice, but he said that in order for me to learn what unconditional love was, I needed to go back. Isn't that interesting that 
even then you actually had a choice. He told you you needed to do it, but he didn't force you to go back. I, I love the fact that there is this this agency, this free to choose yeah. everything in that spiritual realm. Yeah. It was, like I said, he wasn't like demanding or forceful. He It was with great compassion. And I think he thought showing me my future and me being happy in it eventually will push me more, I guess. And then when I agreed, he showed me the screen again and we're back to me in the Philippines. And then I remembered the shamans, they put like a candle in a spoon and there was a bowl with cold water underneath the spoon and they poured the candle into this bowl, the cold water, and it formed like a face thing, like a face of a candle. And the shamans or faith healers, I'm sorry, they're called faith healers, told my Lola that I needed to place the candle underneath the pillow. And if it broke, then I would be fine. And if it didn't, then whoever had possessed me has taken over completely and I was gone forever. But I was laughing because I I was seeing it from my, you know, the screen and I'm like, I know where I'm at. <laughs> I'm not possessed. I know where I'm at. And um, she did exactly that. And then he turns and tells me, okay, it's time. It's time for you to go back. And I didn't feel the pool like everybody else did. I just remember blackness again and then waking up and I was fine. And I guess the face broke and they thought the, you know, the possession was over. They told my grandmother it was an old white, um, like an older white lady with really long black hair who had evil intent that had a hold of me. That's what they told her. Now, when you say you felt fine at that point, does that mean you were well or, or you just weren't dead? <laughs> you just, sorry to laugh, or you just weren't dead anymore? Um, did you still have a high fever? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I it was fine. Um, you know, my body wasn't achy anymore. It didn't hurt to breathe. And my mind wasn't foggy. So I just felt like <laughs> like waking up from a, a sleep. How interesting. Okay, do you remember what happened next? Yeah, so after that, I told my grandmother, because I was really, really excited to tell her about all this experience and everything. And she just said, you know, oh, yeah, the shamans did their work. The shamans did their work. The lady had a hold of you. And so she didn't really believe that I went to the other side. <laughs> that was that. And a lot of interesting things happened afterwards. Tell me some of those. Sure. Since I was so open or had high frequency from what happened coming back, I remember we were stuck in traffic. A traffic in the Philippines is horrible. <laughs> I stuck a straw up in the air and I was like, because my mom was getting frustrated being, you know, in the same place for a long time. So I stuck a straw in the air, I guess, trying to amplify my my thought or something in my five-year-old mind. And I was like, please, please, can you please let us get home soon? And then after that, like, all the lights that we hit were green. We didn't even hit a single red light after that. It, it was crazy. I remember going to the mall 
with my mom and wanting a toy. We went up the escalator and she said we didn't have any money. And after we got up to the escalator, I found like a stack of cash. I was like, wow, now I have enough money to buy a toy. (laughs) You know, that was really, really neat. When we were moving from Philippines to Guam, when I was around seven, I remember the plane ride was so turbulent. It was going up, down, up, down. Like the lights were going on and off, on and off. And I was really scared, you know, sitting next to my mom. And I grabbed the armrest next to me. And I was, please stop, please stop, please stop. And then all of a sudden it like just was cleared again. And I didn't know if it was me or it was just coincidence or whatnot. But it was really, really neat. And over the years, you've had some other spiritual and out-of-body experiences. But as long as we're talking about things that you have affected, you had told me in our pre-interview about your husband's Xbox. Yes. (laughs) Tell tell everybody what happened with that. So um, after one of my more intense meditations... All of a sudden, like the Xbox, you know, I was um, sitting on the couch with my kids and there was no controllers right next to us. And my husband was at the table and the Xbox turns on and then, you know, he couldn't turn it off because he was like, why is it on? And he was like, I don't, I'm sorry. I think I might've turned it on (laughs) and he couldn't turn it off. He couldn't turn it off. So he had to um, turn the switch off or the surge protector off. And then when he turned it back on, it wouldn't turn on after that. So, <laughs> I feel bad. I mean, I turn, I have turned on his Xbox, like, unwillingly off and on for a while. But I guess that was the last time it wanted <laughs> to do that. So you actually killed it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he was heartbroken. He wasn't upset so much as heartbroken. Because he, he knows I really can't control it. Like, me breaking yeah. four. Android phones before the sales guy was like, you know what? Try an Apple. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> what happened exactly with that? You go cell phone shopping. Yes, sir. We go. Oh, yes, sir. We go cell phone shopping, and we were getting the new, uh, latest Samsung uh, Galaxy phone. Quick pause here. This podcast is a labor of love, produced by me and my son Will, who's a university student. The show is completely free for you. But today I'd like to ask a little favor. We want to keep growing and you are the key. If you'd take just a couple of seconds right now to hit the follow or subscribe button, then hit the share button to send it to a friend. We would really appreciate it. Now, back to our guest. And I was particular. I wanted a white one. And the sales guy showed me, you know, was ready to purchase a white one and it broke. And he was like, that's weird. I've never seen this happen before. And he did that about three more times, each time with me touching it, but like for just a few seconds. And he was like, I don't know. (laughs) Why don't you try an iPhone? Because obviously Samsung's are not agreeing with you. (laughs) You broke four galaxies in the space of a couple of minutes? Yes, sir. Wow. Glad you didn't get the bill for that. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean. But iPhones you don't have a problem with. No. Well, I don't know. The other night when um my husband and I were sitting down, I was looking through one of his apps or something. And then all of a sudden, 
his phone did something freaky. Um, one of the apps started glitching and he's like, what's going on? I've never seen it do that. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just was like clicking through it. I don't know. <laughs> well, and we're actually recording over your iPhone today. Yes. Oh, it's working. Of course, I'll let everybody know you're not touching it. No, <laughs> just in case. I don't want but I haven't had an issue with this one. So this we're good. I try not to do as many um, devices. My daughter just got an Oculus and I'm afraid to <laughs> mess with that on her behalf. All right. Let's let's go back to your childhood again. Is there anything else that you want to fill us in on before an out-of-body experience that you had? Yeah, so um, again, like I said, I grew up with a myriad of traumas with my mom, like constantly verbally and physically abusing me. When we were in Guam, after that experience, actually, she barely touched me. So I think she, in her heart, she believed what, what happened and she, I guess, was afraid of what would happen to her if, so, you know, she did something. But when we went to Florida... My father's stepdad abused me um, sexually. So, um, sorry. I begged my parents originally. They were. It was just supposed to be my parents and my my mom, or my mom and my dad, supposed to go to Hawaii by themselves without me, and I was supposed to stay with my grandmother and him. And um, I begged them. I'm like, please, please, please let me go with you. I didn't want to tell them the reason because I was told not to because it was my fault. I was meant to feel ashamed for what had happened. And, you know, reluctantly, they agreed to take me with them. And in Hawaii, it was really nice because there were other half children like myself, (laughs) But this time, my dad was working at night at Pearl Harbor, and my mom wanted to go out partying with and doing other things with her friends. So I was by myself at night most of the time. So that was not very pleasant. I remember wanting to go over my friend's house all the time to spend the night. Unfortunately, one time, her parents called, had called the cops because... I couldn't get into my house. I didn't have, I forgot the key inside the house and my mom was, wasn't answering her phone and my dad was working. So they had to call the cops and the cops called my dad to let me inside the house and stuff. So rough growing up, it didn't just change and get all better. No. After your experience at age five. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I knew that this would happen. So eventually my parents ended up getting a divorce and my mom didn't really want me living with her and her new boyfriend. And my dad was uh, deployed, was getting deployed to Diego Garcia at the time. So I, I, I told them that I would go there to, you know, save their feeling, or I thought I would be saving their feeling. But really, I had no choice but to go back to my grandmother and the abuser. And so when she wasn't around and stuff, it it would happen more and... It was just really rough. (laughs) But in middle school, I had this really great friend in sixth grade who I loved and cherished as a sister. And I would constantly go to her house (laughs) to try to escape from everything. And at one point when my grandmother was taking me to her house, all of a sudden she developed this really sharp pain in her head. 
And, you know, she pulled over and she's like, oh, my gosh, this really bad headache. And I'm like, come on, Grandma, let's just let's go back home. You know, you can you can lay down and I'll call my friend's parents and have them pick me up. It's it's no big deal. And she kept apologizing to me. I remember her apologizing profusely to me. And I kept telling her, please don't worry about it. Please don't worry about it. I think she knew she knew what was happening. And um when we got to the house, she told me to call my aunt, who was a nurse at the time, or is still a nurse. And when, while I was on the phone, she actually had a stroke and fell face down on the floor first. And she was barely breathing. And I was trying to calm our dog at that time down and trying to tell her everything will be okay. While on the phone at, at 13 years old, it was just, it was a lot. Eventually, you know, we lost my grandmother. But I felt her leaving my cousin I took my younger cousins to the lakefront which was um, fairly close to the house and we were just walking and then all of a sudden it started raining and then we're like oh it's raining we're gonna melt (laughs) you know what those silly things kids do and we started running all of a sudden I just felt this a piece of me being taken away and then I just I just knew that she was gone. And when we came back to the house, they told us kids that, you know, she didn't make it. So <sighs> that was really hard for me because I think she was protecting me from all that. And then after she had passed away, my friend stopped talking to me, this girl who I viewed as a sister, because I guess she, she didn't know how to talk to me after that. So I lost her as a friend too. And then that now that we were alone, I used to actually sleep with a knife under my waterbed, a pillow in a waterbed to make sure that I was protected, you know. But um, without telling anybody what was happening, I asked my uncle if I could live with them because my cousin and I went to the same school at the time. So I asked them if I could live with them, and they agreed. So I lived with them for a while until my dad finally retired and got her own house. And that was at that house that we just purchased was my the first out-of-body experience that I had. Hey, tell us about that. Sure. So one night, it was unusually cold for Florida weather. It was I think it was like 40-something degrees or something, and I had this personal heater right next to uh, um, on my nightstand right next to my bed and I had on full blast because you know growing up mostly growing up in tropical climates (laughs) 40 something is really really cold (laughs) I had this like thermal long johns is what it's called on and under my blanket and then all of a sudden I don't know if it was another NDE or whatnot but I had this very, very, very vivid dream of being inside of this iron cage and the bars were really, really thick. And on top of the cage was a chain that was letting me or, you know, putting me down closer and closer inside of this like very dark cave. And they were like demonic beings all around and underneath was the lava and the chain was getting me down closer and closer to said lava. And I remember one of the demons 
beings got close to the chain, grabbed onto the bar and was like laughing at me. And I tried screaming, but I didn't have any voice. So I was, and he was just laughing at me. And I was like so scared, but trying to see if I could find myself a way out. I was getting closer and closer to the bottom of the, the cave. I just, with all of my being, with all of my might, I just yelled out, even though I didn't have a voice, I just yelled out, Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this very bright white light came across this cave and everything turned bright. I was no longer inside of that cave. And then I remember being transported into my house in front of my door, my bedroom door. My door was always open. And I remember just watching my body sleeping. And then all of a sudden I got this feeling like I was really hot and dehydrated. It's like, oh my gosh. So I told myself to wake up. I, I, I couldn't wake up. And then I was yelling at myself to wake up. And then the last time I was like, wake up. And I finally woke up, turned off my heater and got a glass of water. It was so strange just looking at my body sleeping while I was outside of my bedroom door. It was... Sounds like more than just a dream. It, yeah, it must have been, yeah. It felt so real. I would never forget that. It was like my reoccurring dream of me being younger, wearing this potato sack dress, and I'm in line waiting. And then all of a sudden, there's this box, and I would have to get into the box, and there was a guy in uniform about to shoot me, and I would always wake up before I get shot. It was... <laughs> there's so many things like that did you have one other out-of-body experience i did how old were you then i was 28 okay what led up to that sure uh, i was having a tubal ligation you know no more pregnancies because my second pregnancy although she's such a blessing was very hard on my body so i couldn't you know go through that again and so after they put me in anesthesia, I remember seeing them putting tape on my eyes. And then I just was looking at myself from a, like on the ceiling, like I was on the ceiling looking at myself on the table while they were operating on me. I remember them making an incision and I remember watching the monitor and I remember the little circular plastic thing that they put over my fallopian tube. They had to like pry it open with um, one of those machines because I guess it was a <laughs> really, really hard plastic. And then they put it over my fallopian tube. And I just remember them talking about what lunch they were going to have. <laughs> Out of the blue, you know, during surgery, it was like, yeah, you know, we're going to have cobblestone. <laughs> you know, cob salad is like, okay, cob salad. Why are they talking? <laughs> but anywho, I digress. But yeah, after my follow-up surgery six weeks later to make sure that all, everything went well, I was talking to my surgeon and she was like, yeah, that's so weird. So you told her the things that you remember seeing and hearing. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of freaked her out a little bit. It really did because she was like, you're, not, you're really like, you know, under anesthesia. How did you, I said, I, I just saw everything. I saw the monitor. I saw the device that you use to um, not clamp, but like put my tubes in between. And like, it looked like an O-ring, you know, but they use it to clamp my fallopian tubes, make sure. <laughs> yeah, she was really surprised by that. 
Yeah, you do know this isn't very normal, right? To me, it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that in a loving way. Most of us don't have these kind of experiences. Um, I wonder if if what you what happened to you at age five kind of made you more prone to these experiences later in life. What's your thoughts? I believe they do. I um, honestly do, as well as meditation, because I listen to Hemisync meditation, and it's in a treatment and treatment program, and I think that helps me as well to get to my intuition more. I had anxiety and depression most of my life, so I was actually I'm sober over one year. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. Thank you. I was self-medicating as well as had prescription medication for, you know, anxiety and depression really bad. But I believe it really helped me because I feel people's emotions and see behind the veil, so to speak. Sometimes what they say and what they actually mean are two completely different things. And I, it freaks, like they get angry with me because it freaks them out. But so I've learned to not speak my mind on the matter. Can you give us an example of when that's happened recently or any example that stands out? Sure. Um, when someone told me that they cared for me, but I, I knew behind their eyes there was no like real meaning behind it kind of thing, <laughs> you know? I can feel people's emotions. Like one time my, we just got a brand new cat and my youngest was so scared of it. And I felt her fear at the very you know, bottom of my back. And I felt it so intensely it hurt. I see events that happen or have had happened. Like when, um, when my dad called me to tell me that my abuser had killed, you know, had passed away. I told him, oh, yeah, he shot himself in the head, didn't he? And he's like, yeah. He was really surprised that I knew that, even though I was 3,000 miles away, you know, visiting my mom um, before the trial was to go about. It's just little things. I'm more sensitive. Um, the other day, actually, <laughs> I was just walking to my room, and then all of a sudden, like, I felt a be like a spirit being there. I didn't see it, but I just felt it. And I'm like, mm, what's your intentions, you know? <laughs> but most of the beings I come across in this house has, hasn't been malevolent or had any ill will towards anybody here. So, What emotions are you feeling for me? <laughs> um, so happy, <laughs> well relaxed, but I'm very curious. That's all. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. No, you're good. Okay. So I think it might be interesting for some of our listeners to find out how you got on this show. Sure. Why don't you go ahead and, and tell everybody? Because we we never talk about this. And, and there's a lot of different ways that people end up being interviewed here. So how did it work for you? I was listening to different types of podcasts prior to, um, like, con you know, metaphysics, consciousness, spirit speakers, you know, psychic teachers and all that. And although they were very helpful in my spiritual life and awakening my spiritual self, I was like, I still don't feel like I know what happened to me, you know, with the NDE, because I had forgotten about it until about 2020. And I had that meditation, past life regression meditation, and all of a sudden it just came up to me. Ever since then, I've been like, oh my gosh, I need to know what happened. 
And then I was just researching near-death experience. I've read a few here and there online, but it never really resonated with me. So, and I came across your show on Amazon and I'm like, I eh, might as well give it a try. <laughs> you know, hopefully I can find something that resonates with me and what happened with me. And I've been hooked ever since. All of your speakers have been wonderful and you have just a calming presence to you. So <laughs> you reached out and sent me an email. It was a nice long one. Very well written. Oh, <laughs> like I said, I felt convoluted on my end. Anyway, I appreciate that. I love when people uh, send emails to Will and I that we can go through and pick speakers from or pick interviews from. And yours sounded very sincere and interesting. So so I wanted to talk to you and I knew people would love you. So what other message do you have for anybody listening out there? That I was just told that love is the answer, you know, and we're here to experience um, from all, a lot of the books I've read, we as humans just get to experience what it's like here. And on the other side, there's really, there's just love, no judgment, just love and just love everyone as much as you can forgive because I've forgiven that person uh, mostly for myself and just try to be the best you, you can be help out as many people as you can when you can. And that love that you felt during your NDE, could you explain it to us more? Sure. Try to put into words, now that you've had children and things, you probably understand that feeling even more than you did then. I do, um, but <laughs> it's so hard to describe <laughs> because the love I have for my children is never ending. And it's like that times, oh my gosh, infin infinity, infinitesimal, however you want to word it. You're just like engulfed in it once you get there. It's this freedom of no judgment and you're just loved for who you are. You don't have to be anybody else other than who you are. You're just loved. It's like somebody said, a thousand grandmas hugging you at the same time. It's, it's just, it engulfs your being and it's really, really beautiful. How do we show more of that to people around us? Just accept people for who they are, regardless of how they are. Just, you know, don't expect anything out of them and don't try to change them. Just accept them and love them. And did this experience leave you with less fear of death than a normal person would have? Absolutely. Actually, I wanted to go back. <laughs> that's that's um, embarrassing to say. I remember trying to alleviate my depression with... Um, taking golden teachers and which is a psilocybin and getting in the tub and wanting to go back home. Just wanted to go back home because I don't feel like home here. I mean, I feel with my family home, but I miss that feeling of home. It's kind of like, it's unfair because I, I love my family here, but there's no feeling like the home that you experience on the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that guide that you had there, he said, you will be happy eventually. Has that happened? Yes, I'm very happy um, with my husband and my two children. They mean 
so very much to me more than anything. And getting to tell them I love them a hundred times a day, even though they get annoyed with me, <laughs> is the highlight of my day. I get to hug them. Well, my love, um, my twelve-year-old, not so much anymore. She doesn't like being touched anymore. <laughs> but my, I, at least I get to you know cuddle and hug on my eight-year-old as much as I can. So, which is close to the feeling as you can get here. Well, as a parent who has had teenagers go through those years, I I understand, and it doesn't last forever. Okay. You'll, have a, you'll hopefully have a cuddler again one of these days. Anyway, Mary Grace, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Eric. I hope, you know, it helps somebody. And how do you feel now that you've had a chance to share it? A little shaken, but I, I feel good. I hope I didn't confuse a lot of, too much, <laughs> you guys too much. But, you know, I'm very appreciative for you and your, this wonderful podcast to help me share my story. Because even though I may be see, seem crazy to some, you know, I, at least it's, it's my experience and I was able to share it. Thank you. Well, I hope it's helped you. I know it's helped other people. Thanks again. Thanks to you for listening, and remember to follow and share this podcast. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.